Thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Dais, a podcast about the stories taking place in and around El Paso County, Colorado. I'm your host, Scott Anderson, and my guest today is Ryan Parcell, the Executive Director of Government Affairs here at El Paso County. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I, I've been listening to a couple of these the entire time thinking, when's it going to be Ryan's turn? And yeah. today's the day. So I feel like I've arrived. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, you know, we're kind of running out of people to talk to and places <laughs> to go. So yeah, you know, this is where you end up. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm used to that. It's like kickball. I'm always like last pick. Yeah. But, you know, sadly, I, I can very much relate to that. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into things, I want to quickly add that if listeners are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around El Paso County or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, But as we get into things here, Ryan, I was wondering if you could start us off by giving us uh, some of your background prior to your current position. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Scott. You know, I'll tell you, um, for a nerd like me, I'm pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't get much better than the the sort of job that I have. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of background on me. Um, growing up, I was uh, really lanky, unathletic, uh, uncoordinated, you know, still carry some of that with me today. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't make a name for myself in like sports or... The dream died early on the professional athlete. Yeah, I had a lot train, of disappointed yeah. looks from my dad growing <laughs> up uh, anytime it was anything sports related. Um, but uh, but I, I could really geek out over some things and, and I started geeking out uh, over politics at a pretty young age. I mean, I don't know many 12-year-olds that will admit publicly to like reading the CIA World Factbook or something like that for fun. Uh, so, you know, that, that kind of started, uh, I've got no comment on that. Just <laughs> keep going. How could you, yeah, I, I got <laughs> other nothing. than, you know, just, uh, imagining a lot of boring Saturday nights in the Parcel <laughs> household growing up. Uh, but eventually that, that led to the almanac of American politics, not much of a leap. Um, and, and I started getting this love for policy and, and politics and how the American form of government works compared to other countries. My dad was also in the military. So we lived in other countries. We, Lived in Greece for a while in the 80s, and we were there when the Berlin Wall came down. So you could really see oh, wow. this interaction of of, um, of how decisions play out on, on the world stage. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of other geeky things uh, that I did. You know, I, I worked on a couple of political campaigns before I was old enough to vote. Whenever I snuck out for the house, it wasn't to go party or anything like that on the weekend. Honest to God. One time I snuck out of the house to go put up yard signs at night. Nice. Um, so, uh, you know, that that interest uh, carried forward to an adult. And, and uh, long story short, through a bunch of uh, professional and extracurricular activities, I ended up here. So now my job is to look at policy and the impacts on us as an organization, which is important because... You know, it's core. El Paso County is a is a service organization. So any new law or regulation that comes down for us impacts our ability to offer services for other people. So it really is kind of the best of both worlds. I, I get to work for an organization that I love, serve my community, and and do it in a way that's uh, aligned with all of my geekiness. Mm-hmm. And before you got here, what were some of those things that you were most proud of? Those accomplishments that you had? Oh man, well, um, yeah, that's a good question. So. You know, before this role, I was in charge of the communications team for El Paso County. There's a lot to be proud of there. Um, a lot of a lot of the faces that are there now are folks that I brought in. A lot of the projects that we're working on were things that I laid the groundwork for, so I'm really proud of that. 
Um, you know, government was really impacted by COVID, so that was a, a, a big role for there. Um, before El Paso County, I was at the state treasurer's office. I was deputy state treasurer under a guy named Walker Stapleton. Um, you know, the, the state banking and finances is, is actually really interesting. During, during the year and a half there, I, I did a billion and a half dollars of COP issuances including the uh, the money that paid for I-25. So every time I drive up I-25 <laughs> right. in the gap, I always tell people that I paid for it. No one cares, but I do. So, nice. That's yeah, very impressive. have to keep repeating it until somebody cares. Eventually, I'll find somebody. Uh, but the the treasurer's office also handles unclaimed property. So I've, hold, I've held more silver bars, gold bars, uh, old guns, and baseball cards in the state capitol than anybody else. You know, the, the long story short there is if you lose control of your safety deposit box, like you forget about it or somebody passes away, nobody knows about it, that stuff reverts to the state. And so all sorts of interesting things there. But I don't know how somebody missed places like 35 silver bars. Right. I, I just, I don't right. live that kind of life. But it's it's pretty cool and it's all in the state, safe up there. Uh, before that, I, I worked for the clerk and recorder's office. Um, I'll say the most proud thing that... I did there. I did legislative stuff there too, but I worked with a local representative here to ban something called jailhouse weddings, which is super creepy if you think about it. Colorado was one of the only states where you could get married to somebody without the other party being present. So think about that for a second. And there was this whole like creepy industry about it uh, called jailhouse weddings where you could uh, marry an inmate or uh, marry anybody else and and like these companies would pay or you would pay them and they would set it up for you to fly into Colorado pick you up at the airport take you to get your $30 marriage license and marry whoever it was and uh, so there were foreign nationals that were taking advantage of that uh, people in other states uh, like I said a really creepy practice and now now, uh, the only way that you can get married for uh, to somebody else without them being here is if they're deployed. Oh, okay. Uh, which makes sense, yeah. right? Um, which is where the law started in 1943, but it evolved into something way different here. Uh, and then the clerk and recorder's office, there's a lot of great people over there. I loved being involved with elections and understanding what is and isn't happening with elections. And uh, that was before, you know a lot of the, the theories about what actually goes on started to take root. So it's it's good to have that basis now and see how that conversation has evolved mm-hmm. and know what actually goes on behind the scenes. Right. And so how do some of those things you did in the past help with your current role? And what are some of your primary responsibilities you have as the executive director of government affairs? Yeah. So government affairs in an organization like us, uh, El Paso County is a political subdivision of the state, which is a really bureaucratic way of saying that we're an arm of the state. So whatever the the state says that we do is something that we do. And because we have elected commissioners, I think people think that uh, any of the services or priorities that we execute are, are something that's dictated by the Board of County Commissioners. The uh, How much we pay and, and some of the funding for those things, yeah, that's directed by the Board of County Commissioners, but only in the areas where the state doesn't already have a say. Mm-hmm. And so if um, if... The state says, you know, you have to provide X, Y, and Z benefits through DHS. Whether the board wants to do more or less, they really can't because that's dictated by the state. Okay. So the, the laws that the legislature passes has an outsized impact than any other government body going on. Um, and because of that, we have to have 
a, a department that will look at anything that's being proposed and say this is how it helps or hurts our mission or to proffer ideas to the legislature to say this is how we could do our job better. Uh, and that's where our department comes in. So we corral the, the good ideas and try to, to offer uh, ideas to members of our delegation. And when things come up that, uh, that have a positive impact, we tell the legislature that. And when it has a negative impact, we tell the legislature that. So we tell our, our legislative story through our department. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that legislative story, the legislative session up in Denver just ended recently. Uh, what were some of the takeaways that you guys as a department have from that, maybe you individually? And why is it important for El Paso County to be involved with that process in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Colorado's legislative session takes place over 120 days. It starts in January, uh, pretty early in January. So it, you know, with the, the nature of the work, um, by the time Thanksgiving and Christmas roll around, you know, we're already getting started for the next legislative session. So there really is no downtime, even though the session is this defined period of time. Mm-hmm. There's never any downtime. So during this uh, most recent session, there were a lot of things that had an impact on El Paso County, some very specific to our organization and, and some more specific to, to people at large. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, a couple of years back, the, the legislature passed a bill called the Equal Pay Act. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into the benefits or drawbacks. Uh, there's plenty of people on both sides of that as to what's good or, or maybe not so good about that mm-hmm. particular piece of legislation. But it impacted El Paso County because it meant that uh, uh, one of the provisions says that any time that you apply for another job or you advance in a job, you have to apply. And so if you um, your job title is what again? Oh, my job title will bring me into this. Uh, yeah. Uh, communications and public relations manager. Okay. So you're a communications public relations manager. Um, if your department wanted to come in and say, oh, you know, Scott's done a, a great job. We're going to uh, advance him and say that he's a manager number two. Okay. He'll give you a little bit more responsibility. The old law would say, that's great. You, know, you have to post for that. Scott has to reapply for the job. Well, what happens if Scott reapplies for the job and, doesn't and we it. find somebody better than you to take that job? You know, uh, there wasn't really an opening or anything like that. So we right. still had to put you through that process and, and uh, you know, the, all the emotional ups and downs that come with uh, applying for a job. Right. For what purpose? Um, and so there were a couple of the, the folks that uh, sponsored that original piece of legislation. I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to say that everybody has the ability to apply and compete for a job. Right. Uh, but we worked with them to, to build um, a way for people to progress within their pre-existing job title without mm-hmm. having to reapply. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that, that was something that may not sound like a lot, but you consider H- our county HR manages 3,000 employees. Yeah. You know, if you're wanting to say you're, you've gone through all these things and you're a DHS worker, we want to make you a DHS worker too – you know, that you're talking 600 people yeah. that would have to go through this, this process. Uh, and then you got people from the outside thinking there are all these job openings and stuff and they're trying to apply. And, and it was, uh, it was a deal. Yeah. So that was one thing that we worked on. Uh, but on the other end of the spectrum, something that really impacted the community was Senate bill 213, which has to do with land use. And, uh, most people don't think about land use until they've got an apartment complex or something coming down at the end of their street. I'm one of those people, right? I've got, I've got something that's punching through at the end of the, uh, at the end of my street. 
and um, and the neighbors want to have their say in that. Well, Senate Bill 213 would have taken away the local approval process for any land use and made it a state process. Okay. So instead of going to your board of county commissioners meeting or your city council meeting to talk about the the neighborhood that's going on at the end of the street, you would be dealing with this state process, which would be, I mean, you think about the size of our state and the population, we're about 6 million people. I mean, uh, we've probably got hundreds, if not thousands of development applications going through different processes, but just in El Paso County, but between the city and all the, and the county and uh, all the other municipalities. So you're talking about the state managing a really big process and, and is your voice magnified or, or is it diminished by having to, to go through Denver to say what's going on at the end of your street. Sure. El Paso County certainly thought that that it'd be better to keep it local. And there were a lot of other things about, you know, saying what were some use by rights and, and everything else. And so our organization took a really strong stance against that bill. Um, and I probably read more versions of Senate Bill 213 than <laughs> I, I mean, I, I honestly have a hard time keeping it straight after you've read something really similar, but a slightly different seven or eight times, a right, right. Uh, hundred and some odd page bill. But you know, uh, that, that was something that really impacted the, the community that would have affected how our citizens interact with our government. Mm-hmm. And so we took a stance against it and we're happy that on the last day of session, um, that bill died. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to interject real quick here and you know, you don't have to go too far into your personal politics if you don't want, but given the role that you're in and how close you are to the commissioner's decision makers, right. For things that happen here in El Paso County, how do you sort of, uh, straddle, I guess, what your personal politics might be versus what maybe the politics of the county are or the county leadership is? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question because uh, whenever there's interviews for these types of positions, we ask a question really similar to that. Mm -hmm. Like, if there was something that was against your personal beliefs, how would you handle that situation? Because we're all going to encounter it. Right. Um, And in fact, the the best answer that I heard was somebody who worked for a Department of Corrections who who had to order the drugs to uh, carry out the death penalty in our state, and she was anti-death penalty. Um, So, I mean, it happens. Uh, when you're in government affairs, it happens. And you, you, I think it helps to have some boundaries of like, well, this is something that, um, that I could say, you know, uh, this isn't what I agree with, but, you know, I, I don't feel really that strongly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, you got, you'll never find anything that perfectly aligns with you. Right. Uh, but otherwise, you, you handle it like a, a professional. And, um, and as long as it's ethical and within the boundaries, you, you do the job to the best that you feel comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, too, I think it, it helps uh, from speech and debate, which I also did growing up because, you know, <laughs> of course I Look, did. all the cool right? kids did speech and debate, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, let's, let's get that You straight. might be the first person to ever stitch <laughs> those words together in the English language. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it helps to be able to argue both sides. Mm-hmm. And, um, and... So if you can see, you know, why somebody might be in favor of X, Y, and Z, like I understand why some people thought that a solution like 213 might be uh, workable, mm-hmm. given some of the issues that they've had in other parts of the state, but not really an issue in El Paso County. Um, aside from that, I would also say most 
things, especially in local government, aren't partisan issues. Um, the, the Second Amendment isn't a day-to-day thing that an organization like El Paso County is grappling with. Or uh, what's another hot topic issue, you know, nationally, uh, abortion or something like that really isn't uh, something that is a, is a day-to-day function of plowing roads or filling potholes or um, getting somebody the, the benefits that they earned through their military service. That, mm-hmm. that just isn't something that, uh, that's that much. So most of the time you're dealing with people who have good intentions that want to do what's best for the state of Colorado um, and to the extent that they have a blind spot, it's because they haven't worked in this realm before. I've, I've worked in government for 10 years. Somebody who has been a, a lawyer uh, doing private practice is going to have a different skill set. Mm-hmm. And it's my job to bring the expertise to the table and, and talk about how it's going to impact our organization, good or bad, and help craft the best policy possible for the people of the state of Colorado and for El Paso County. Yeah. And so another thing that is part of what you're currently doing is the redistricting process. Yes, commissioner uh, redistricting. Yeah, commissioner yes. redistricting. So I know that there's a lot of sensitivity about what can and uh, can't be discussed outside of public meetings. Of course, we want to make sure we're following all protocol with that. I feel very safe with you in the room here. Uh, but I was wondering if you could uh, maybe just tell me why it's important for the public to be a part of this process. Uh, absolutely. And again, this is one of those where I think I'm I'm the luckiest person in the world to have this job because, uh, you know, I, I love studying maps and, and how other states have drawn their lines. And so I, I can see how it's connected to where how lines are drawn and how government works. And I'm not talking about you know, red shirt or blue shirt wins mm-hmm. or losses or anything like that. But, um, but when it comes to drawing legislative boundaries, you know, that, that, uh, that has a very direct impact obviously as to, um, to the type of, of person and the experience that they bring uh, when they're elected to office. And so uh, it, it's really cool to be involved in the process and to do it from a, a nonpartisan staff standpoint where um where we can see the the process unfold and see the the community get involved and um, and watch the board make decisions because you know the the board has been vested with statute to redraw the lines for a long long time um, it's been done different ways and without getting into the pluses or, or minuses of that I can say that in this process every every meeting that's held to discuss it is done in a public setting. And anybody who's listening to this can go and watch uh, exactly how that process plays out, which is, uh, which is pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we've got, we've got five commissioners on our board now. Um, I, I think they're all fantastic people. They're all uh, great leaders. And we've got term limits, so eventually the, the people who are here now will be replaced by somebody else. Um, and they'll bring in their ideas and, and priorities and everything else. Um, and so redistricting is, is important to, to see how that's going to play out in the future. And I just think the public has a tremendous amount of access to participate in that process. And so what are some of those participation opportunities for the public regarding the redistricting process? Yeah, so, um, so the public has a, a lot of opportunities to be involved in this process. There's going to be five redistricting meetings all throughout the county, um, one in each existing commissioner district, where the law says that you have to get some specific feedback from people. They, they, you know, the redistricting commission needs to know what you think about the communities and ventures that exist in, in your neck of the woods. 
the redistricting commission needs to know what you think about political competitiveness in your neck of the woods. And then there's other things like the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and population equality and all these things that have to be taken into consideration. But, but you know, there, there are going to be people that are involved in this process uh, that span the, the political spectrum. The, the question that I would pose to your listeners is, are you comfortable with somebody else speaking for you? Or should you be involved? Are you confident that that whoever else is going to show up to that is going to speak on your behalf? Or do you need to do it yourself? And there's no right or wrong answer. I've always been more on the side of I'd rather speak up for myself than mm-hmm. somebody else do it. Um, but, but there are uh, people that are perfectly comfortable with that. But, uh, you know, at least you can take a look at the process, see how it's playing out and decide whether or not you want to interject. So that's the in-person meeting. Sorry for the tangent there. Uh, <laughs> but but through the redistricting website, which I'm sure that you'll link to, uh, you can go there and submit your own comments. So if you're not the sort of person that wants to go and sit in a meeting for a couple of hours and, and do it that way, if you're more uh, quiet or you feel more comfortable with your keyboard, you can submit your comments there too. You can actually submit a, a map for what you think that the district should look like. Um, you can, um, and so those are the, the two main areas because any other feedback has to be done either in the public meeting or through the website. So normally I'd say, you know, go to social media or something like that, but you right. really can't. So right. anything that's, that's submitted, uh, everybody can see, which, you know, um, I think that's good for transparency. Yeah. And I do want to chime in there and just say that if people are interested in, in doing that in submitting those public comments or maps, uh, you can go to www.elpasoco.com backslash redistricting, and you'll be able to find all that information you need to be able to do that. Uh, the county has provided some different tools that you can use to help with drawing those maps and uh, let you know sort of the parameters that need to exist for it to be a, a complete map, if you will, one that one that can be accepted. And I'm glad that you said the website because I knew in my mind as soon as I started saying it, I'd forget <laughs> something. And uh, I must say the, the website looks pretty good. Scott, do you have any idea why the website would look so darn good? No, 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 no idea whatsoever. No, no. Uh, Only we know who uh, <laughs> who was putting that together and making all the updates. Thank you for all of your work on that. That's, oh, oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, as, as part of, you know, being part of the communications department, it really is our job to be as transparent as possible with this government organization that we're a part of. And, you know, I just look at, at that as, and it's another extension of one of those things about trying to be as transparent as possible and making it as easy as possible for the community to give their feedback. And so, you know, again, this podcast is an example of wanting to be transparent, allowing access to people and uh, different positions that maybe uh, residents won't, wouldn't normally have that access to. And so, you know, again, it's just kind of an extension of that. So anything I can do to help uh, with that is uh, definitely something I want to be a part of. So Yeah, and I, I think guess. it's good because as an organization, we really do prize like uh, being open about what we're doing and communicating with people and meeting people where they want to be met. Um, you know, not everybody watches the, the 5 o'clock news, and, and this medium is, is so much more effective to, to reach people uh, where they want to be met. So I think it's great. Yeah, and you, because you worked in communications before, you've worked in government for a number of years, kind of wanted to get your input. When people say, you know, oh, you can say you're transparent, but, you know, we, we know what really it is, right? You're going to hear that from plenty of people. Um, I guess how would you answer that genuinely to really say, no, like, we really are. Like, transparency really is important, and we 
we pride ourselves on being doing that as much as possible. Like, what is your what is your response to that when people yeah. approach you with that? Yeah, I mean, I understand that that thought process because I think as people, we're kind of hardwired in the absence of information to assume the worst possible motive. Um, and you know, as a nation too, we 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 were literally built on a distrust of of government somewhere else, and we thought we could do it better and, and we needed to have a representative constitutional uh, republic, um, a democratic, yeah, a constitutional democratic republic. So, you know, we've, we've always been um, a little distrustful of, of government in general. And then you sprinkle onto that, you know, the West, which, uh, which tends to be a little, um, a little skeptical of even big business and things like that. And again, you know, not saying anything's good, bad, or otherwise, but I can understand why somebody would say, well, that pothole's been here for a while, so what's really going on? You know, is it as efficient or cost-effective or, or anything else? Um, and so I think it's part of, of our job to help tell that story and to fill in the information gap. So people aren't aren't having to uh, assume anything, but they've mm-hmm. got access to, to what they need to make an informed decision. And of course, we're never going to be perfect with that. But I think as an organization, we've come a long way in the last uh, 10 or 15 years, certainly as technology uh, progresses and, and things can become available much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I think that, that breeds more and more transparency because um you know, certainly there there have been examples of, of governments throughout the country that are doing things wrong and people go to prison for what they do. Uh, but, but by and large, I, I think it's mostly a misunderstanding because especially in El Paso County, the, the people that are administering the government are your neighbors. Right. You know, we, we all live here. We work here. Our families are here. Our kids go to school here. Um, and so by and large, we want to do what's best for, for our neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good way of looking at it and a really nice distinction. You know, this is my first role in government and, you know, I always approached g- communication from the government with a little trepidation, right? Like, I don't really know. So, you know, kind of like you said, we're all a little bit hardwired to be somewhat skeptical, right? Of things that, yeah. we, that of things that we don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think it's one thing that, you know, helps provide a job for me, right? Like it, I really want to be that bridge between an organization that people want to know something about to that person who wants to know it. Right. And, you know, being able to do that and do it in an honest way uh, really mean, really means a lot to me as a communicator. I mean, I went to school for journalism, and uh, despite what a lot of people may think about journalism these days, uh, it really is bred into those of us who go to school for that kind of thing. You know, in school, we're taught that it's so important to be truthful and to have integrity. And I know in today's landscape, it's really hard to kind of uh, decipher between, you know, who is being truthful and who may not being truthful. But for me, it means a lot. And to be able to be part of an organization that takes pride in that and that really responds to that, it made a re- it made it a really easy decision for me to come here and then want to talk about the county and to share the county's story and to try and get it out to as many people out there as possible. So, yeah, and and I really appreciate where your mindset is going here because. I, I think that we have to identify the two ends of the spectrum on a conversation like this, right? Um, 
you can be very trusting of government and always assume that government is doing the right thing. We have numerous historical examples to show that that usually isn't the case or can go to a very bad place uh, if government is left unchecked. Right. On the other hand, you have hyper-skepticism to where, you know, if you can't even agree that the sky is blue, then there's a barrier there of having a conversation and trying to address skepticism because you're just not going to believe anything. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, the, the, as I saw a lot of times say, the truth is usually in the middle. And I would rather work with a population that has healthy skepticism where I'm always trying to feel like I have to prove that we're doing things well mm-hmm. than to work in the inverse environment where everyone just assumes that it is. Right. Um, because that, that helps check us. That helps keep us uh, uh, thinking more strategically about what it is that we want to do uh, because we know that we'll have to answer for it someday. I'd much rather work in that environment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I like that. Uh, so what are some things that you think El Paso County residents should be paying close attention to in the coming months and years? I think in your role, you specifically have a little bit uh, broader view as to what's kind of coming down the pipeline. I'm a little bit more uh, focused on what's right in front of me. So yeah, yeah um, aren't we all? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we, we try to be a little bit of forward thinking, right? <laughs> but um, no, like uh, for, for you and in your position, what are some of those things that uh, you think are coming around that people should be aware of? Uh, great question. Well, it's going to be November before we know it. And in Colorado, it, it may feel like we're always voting because in a lot <laughs> of times we are always voting. You know, we just uh, got done with the big municipal election mm-hmm. and that was just a couple months after a November election. And then it's November again. So again, for a lucky geek like me, it's like multiple Super Bowls a year. Christmas every day, Christmas every day right? Yeah. Um, I only watch one football game a year, and it's always uh, it's always Super Bowl. All right, but um, uh, see the elections coming up, and and in Colorado, in odd number of years like this one will be. That's where we always have the financial impact ballot questions, and so um, there there's going to be questions on this year's ballot that have a big impact on on our on our pocketbooks. Uh, especially as valuations are up and and property taxes could be increasing for some folks, depending on whether or not uh, uh, a city or a school district or something has de-bruised or de-tabored, that could have a big impact on on what you pay on a month-to-month basis. So I'd I'd pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And for anybody who, who doesn't know, you know, uh, in Colorado, when you talk about property taxes going up or or something like that, um, if a district or, or government has detapered in the past, that, that may mean that you'll feel the full effect of it. But for other districts or something like that, you won't. So El Paso County is not detapered. And so the the amount that the property taxes that you normally would have to pay to the county will only increase so much. But in a school district or something, it could go up a lot more. And so people see that, that change and they get frustrated with government mm-hmm. uh, thinking that all the money goes to the same place. But, um, but in El Paso County, you know, you could be funding eight or, or 10 different government entities with your property taxes. So certainly something I would encourage people to, to pay special attention to as, as November gets up and, you know, pay attention to what you're signing for a, a petition. 
um, because that that a lot of times can determine whether or not something gets on the ballot. So mm-hmm. why sign a petition for something you're going to vote against right? and hope that it fails? Um, other things, though, that I think that are, are, are coming up, um, you know, I, I think much more in the years aspect than the, the months aspect, but it'll be interesting to see what the legislature wants to do on, on some of the uh, bills that were passed in the past that we can see are starting to have an adverse effect on things like public safety. Um, you know, there's, there's a really strong debate going on in, in Colorado about criminal justice reform, but there are some very identifiable trends now that you can say, well, well this law passed and it, it said that it wasn't uh, a felony to escape from a community corrections facility, which is where somebody goes to serve part of their sentence to divert them away from prison. Well, you know, we said that that wasn't uh, a felony to escape from that. And right after the law went in effect, you see a big spike in people escaping. And then you see a, a, a spike in some of the crime that's going on. Um, so now that we have some data about some of those things, can we go back and, and see if the state made the right decision on some of those or if we need to try something different? Um, and, and I'm all for, and I think that, this is a credit to the organization. I'm all for trying something and then looking to see if it worked. And instead of trying to, to, to spin whatever the result is to a victory, right. look at it objectively and see if you need to come back and, and try something different because yeah. there's too much on the line just to double down on the failed policy because, um, because of politics over, over objective measurements. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things where – at least as far as I've seen, we're being a part of local government as opposed to, say, state or federal. Um, I think the ideas and the purpose behind things are more genuine. And so, yeah, kind of like you were saying, if you pass something and ultimately the results from that show that it may not have done what you wanted it to, I think those who were part of making that happen are more apt let's say, to say, you know what, we gave something a try and it didn't work out how we wanted it to. Let's take another look and maybe, you know, go the other direction or, you know, kind of pivot a little bit. But I I think it's a lot harder to do that on, say, the state or federal level just because of all the machinations that are involved in making those kind of decisions. Have you seen a similar story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, when I went to go work for the state, I was like, oh, this is great, because the federal government always talks about how the states are the laboratories for for innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to go work for the state. You know, we're going to be on the cutting edge of all these things. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, our, our state's great. It's really well run. There's a a lot of fantastic programs, but, um, and it was a tremendous opportunity to go and and work in that capacity. But I thought that local government got it done a a little bit faster and was Mm -hmm. a little bit more nimble. Um, and so, you know, if that saying is true, then I don't know how I'd feel if I wouldn't work for the federal (laughs) government or anything (laughs) like that. But, uh, but you know, uh, the, the local government can get a lot of things done and a lot of impactful things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you, you can see what the, um, what the road looks like after a pothole is filled, or it could be your neighbor that, that needed help with their VA benefits. Um, And, you know, I have to be fair too. You know, we, we do collaborate with the state and the federal government, uh, particularly our our congressmen and our, our state house and Senate delegation members uh, to, to do a lot of good for, for people. Mm-hmm. I just think on a day-to-day basis, um, local government can, can be really nimble and adaptive to local needs. And I think part of it too is, uh, you know, 
we can hear from people right. a lot easier. Yeah. Um, again, friends and neighbors. Yeah. No, very good. Uh, so we've covered a lot of ground here. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to add before we end the conversation, uh, something we haven't been able to cover or maybe just kind of reiterate a point that you made earlier. Yeah. You know, I think the, the one thing that I would want to, to say at this point is, you know, we, we don't do it alone. Um, first off, we have a, a pretty strong and fantastic state house and state Senate delegation. Um, our, our state senators and our state representatives, uh, by and large, they, they pay attention to what we think, and we appreciate that. Um, and they're good people. Uh, I'd also have to give a shout-out for um, Congressman Lamborn's office, who's been really attuned to, to local needs, especially things like Space Command. You know, that, that's, uh, that's a really big deal for us. Um, I would say, you know, we uh, in my department, we have an incredible staff that um, monitors legislation, but also does constituent services, which is uh, which is really great. And uh, and we we help support the commissioners in in their doing their day to day jobs. Um, and because I, I see that that picture, I, I see our commissioners, I see our our state house and our state senate and state house delegation. I see our congressmen, and I see how responsive they all are to what people say, I, I feel like I got to say this, and that's get involved. Um, in Colorado, we have a really low barrier of entry uh, to be involved in the political system and to run for office. Um, and so if you feel passionately about any of these issues, uh, I, I can tell you that your area representatives care what you think and they want to hear from you. They appreciate hearing from you. Because otherwise, uh, the the only people that they're hearing from are are other government affairs people, right. um, which you know that is what it is. Um, and you know, if you want to run for office, then throw your hat in the ring. And if you have some ideas of how to make our our community better, um, even if even if you don't win, uh, you're still part of that conversation. So right. uh, I think you should get involved. Jump in with both feet. Um, you might miss a couple football games. You might turn into a geek like me, but there's worse things you could be. Maybe. 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 I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I think there probably are some. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you taking the time today uh, to be here and uh, for all the work that you do here at El Paso County. So thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. If you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, you can find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 